Always enjoyable to be here. I, I just enjoy it very much to uh, uh, be in your presence, and uh, I love the worship, and uh, I just have just thoroughly enjoyed my, my time here and the opportunity I have to, to uh, meet you all and be with you again. Uh, how are you coming on New Year's resolutions? Any of you do New Year's resolutions this year? That's a few months ago. Can I see hands? Anybody do New Year's resolutions? I see a few sad hands go up, right? <laughs> I... I New Year's resolutions are funny because no one seems to do them anymore, but if you're like me, New Year's comes around, I, I sort of have this personalized New Year's revolution. You can't know what they are because I don't want to admit that I have any, and I don't want to have to give account for how I'm doing on them because I usually don't do too well with them, to be honest. Uh, and, and I figured out part of, part of the reason is found in Romans 7:18. Paul says this beautifully. This ties in with my New Year's resolutions. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what's good. Can you identify with this? I have the desire, but I cannot carry it out. So every New Year, I sort of do my silent New Year's resolutions, and I sort of give this, this inventory of my life, and I've done different things in different years. One year I wanted to be better physically, I wanted to be in better shape. So if you've, you've gone through this, you know, I really want to use this next year to exercise. And, and uh, my office then was um, near a, uh, a gym where you could go and work out, this, this little studio gym. And I was walking by one day, and the owner of the gym came out, and, and someone I knew was in there, and they said, hey, there's, there's Jim Keller, go, go say hi to him. And so he motions me into, into his, his gym. He says, you need to get in shape. His name was Mahmoud. Uh, his title of his gym was Bodies by Mahmoud. And for five months, this is what you got. You got a body by, by Mahmoud, right? And, and I thought, you know... I really wanted to, I, I thought I was doing so well, but you just sort of lose steam after a while. And the diet, you don't want to stay on this kind of you know, diet. It's just, eh, you know, just I didn't have the discipline. So sometimes it's psychological shape. Like, this is going to be the year that I'm not going to be as stressed. I'm going to have a better schedule. Uh, I'm going to look, I'm look out for my emotional health. Uh, this year I'm going to have a better marriage. I'm going to work on my marriage. I'm going to spend more time with my wife, more quality time, time with my kids, especially my kids that are now grown and have grandkids. I want to spend time with them. I, I resolve to do that. Financial shape. I want to. I want to do. But I'll, this year I'll do a budget. You know that will be unique and unusual, right? <laughs> and uh, try to do that. That sort of runs out of steam. Uh, two years ago, I wanted. I was going to work on my spiritual life. And uh, so I, I read a book years ago called Celebration of Discipline, a wonderful book by Richard Foster, just a marvelous book on the disciplines of the Christian faith, 12 chapters, 12 disciplines. I thought, this is it, and I'm going to, I'm going to do it, and I, I made it through the first two chapters, but I didn't have the discipline to continue, so I couldn't celebrate, right? It's just like, what's wrong with me? Why is it that I have great intentions things that I want to do, I, you know, I really do want to do those things, but I just can't follow through. And I think it's because not just that I don't have the discipline, but I want the change. When I start to do something, I want the change right now, right? I want to see the change right now. I want to see, I want to see everything done the way my, my, I, I envision it. And because it, it takes time, many times I lose the focus, not only fall short of my own expectations, I just don't get to see results right away. And Paul goes on in that Romans 7 passage, and he says, for what I do is not the good I want to do. I want to do better, right? 
no, the evil I do not want to do, I keep on doing it. And I, and I realize over the years of my life that a lot of times I'm just going about it the wrong way. I, I, I'm trying to do something that, that I just, that the, the process isn't right. So the text we're going to be looking at today is about someone who stumbled on a fail-safe way to life change. I'm telling you, it's the fail-safe way to life change. A change that's not only dramatic, but here's the good news for us Americans, right? It's immediate. You get it right away. You don't have to wait. So I'd like you to turn in Luke chapter 19, and we're going to look at a conversation Jesus had with, with a man. Gary shared we're in this series called Nine Conversations. Uh, Jesus had more than nine conversations, obviously, but nine that we've specified uh, interactions he has with men and women that, that uh, we're taking a look at. And, and we're taking a look at not just to see what he said and, and to see the truth of it, but how we can apply it to our own lives. So I want to begin with Luke chapter 19, beginning with verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. So here's the context. Jesus is coming into Jericho. Jericho is a city that is about 25 miles southeast of Jerusalem. It's in uh, the present-day uh, West Bank. It's in, in right near the Jordan River Valley. Uh, my wife and I were privileged to travel to Israel earlier this month, and uh, we were there the first 10 days of May, and we were traveling from the Sea of Galilee down to the Dead Sea, down following the Jordan River Valley, and our guide, as we got to this certain location, he said, you look to your left, and you'll see the city of Jericho. And it's still there. Jericho is still there. And uh, it's just a city sitting right there. We didn't stop there, but it still exists. Jericho back in Jesus' day was, was uh, quite different, obviously, than it, was, than it is now. Uh, Jericho was considered a very, very wealthy, a very thriving city. It's described by the writers of antiquity as a beautiful place. It had a lot of palm trees. There were natural springs there, which is very important for that, that area of the country. It's very dry there. Jericho thrived. It, it um, had an industry. Uh, they manufactured myrrh and balsam, very, very expensive spices and, and ointments that you could make. And uh, Jericho is also sort of a, a, a place where, where trade routes would, would go through. People would stop there. And uh, in the middle of this city, back then, at the time of Jesus' day, was a custom house, and that custom house was the place where, where merchants would come and where, where people who were traveling with their trades would come and they would pay taxes to, to, the, uh, the, to the government as they passed through for their, for their goods. Uh, this time, of course, is a time when uh, the Romans were in charge of this part of the world. In fact, the Roman Empire uh, circled really the, the almost completely the Mediterranean Sea, and, and you look look at maps, and and uh, Rome had conquered all these countries, Palestine being one of them, and uh, they were there for two main purposes. First was to make sure that the country that they had conquered did not rebel, and, and there there was a military presence they had there, and they wanted to make sure that there was no unrest and things would go well. And the second reason, more to the point of this text, is they were there to take 
the money away, some money away from the people who they had conquered. They, they wanted to, to uh, gather taxes to support uh, their government, to, to enrich themselves. And the system that they had in terms of government was they allowed the people who were native to that country rule the daily affairs of their life, the laws and the functioning of, of the culture. And they also uh, hired uh, locals to collect their taxes, Zacchaeus being one. Zacchaeus wasn't a Roman, he was a Hebrew. And th- th- this was a what they called publicans. They, w- they were tax collectors. They were men who said, okay, we're going to be uh, involved in helping you collect these taxes. And of course, their reward was is they, they got a, a percentage of what they collected. And Zacchaeus wasn't just a tax collector. Luke says he was a chief tax collector. In other words, he had this multi-level marketing, tax collecting thing going, and he was on the top of the pile. He, he, was, he was the one who, who ran it all. Now, as you can imagine, um, people who did the, this, this job in this culture weren't the most popular people around. Uh, not only were they the, the people that took your money away and, and a lot of times would extort those taxes, but he was considered by his culture a traitor. He was, he was backing up this oppressive government. He, he said, okay, I'm going to enrich myself because someone else has come in and conquered the people that, that, that I'm a part of, but I'm going to enrich myself. So he was not well thought of in his culture. And the irony of all this, you know what Zacchaeus means in Hebrew? It means pure, clean. And you can just, just see the, uh, and, and just hear the ironic statement, oh, I'm going to go pay my taxes to Mr. Pure, right? He's not, not a man who probably was well-liked in his culture. And I think he was probably judged very negatively by the people of Jericho. You know, we live in a divided culture, don't we? We live in a, a culture that, that's divided on a lot of lines, Republicans, Democrats, Male, female, red state, blue state, religious, irreligious, racial differences, ethnic background differences. If you're like me, um, I, I look at people who do that and I don't like that, but a lot of times I'm guilty of that, sometimes unwittingly myself. We were on this tour of Israel. We decided to go with another couple and we didn't know exactly who we were going to go with. So we went online, we found a tour company that, that looked good and they had good reviews. So we signed up. And, and uh, the reason we signed up for this particular tour is that it was a slow tour of Israel. It just We didn't want to be running through Israel, right? We just didn't want to have, you know, just activity all the time. So we, we wanted a little bit more paced time. And, and uh, we thought that would be good. So only knowing this one other couple, there, there are going to be almost 25 of us on this tour. So the first night, if you've ever been on a tour like this, we had no idea who was going to be on the tour with us. These people are going to spend time with the next 10 days. So people, people were coming in to the place where we're eating in this hotel, and, and we're, you know, there are other groups that we're trying to find. Is this from our group? We were pilgrim tours, and we were looking for the, our name tags. And there are, some, there are some interesting people on our tour. Um, there are some people that... Um, well, there was a 97-year-old woman on our tour, and she, uh, she was accompanied by her children and some of her grandchildren. She was in a wheelchair, uh, and there were some other people that were really, they were up there in, in years. I, there were three canes as they shuffled in, and I'm looking at, I'm looking at this, and I'm, I'm going, man, this is an old tour. 
these are old people. Uh, the, I, the positive thing is I, I really felt young and alive. <laughs> it's interesting what goes to me. You know, am I going to have to be? I don't know. This woman's going to slow us down, and I don't know if I don't know. I don't know how they're dressed. And there were three guys that have canes for crying out loud, just sort of shuffling along with canes. And there was one walker, and I'm going, oh man. Interesting how we judge, right? Just pigeonhole. Zacchaeus was in the crosshairs of criticism in this culture. Luke, scholars tell us Luke's gospel. You know what Luke's gospel is? It's a gospel of forgiveness. There, there, is a, there is a sense, as you read Luke, of course, he's the only Gentile writer in, in, in all of, of Scripture. He's not Jewish. And he introduces us to, to the disenfranchised, the people that are marginalized in this culture. He, he, he talks about Jesus' interaction with, with um, people who are Gentiles, with tax collectors. Matthew, who's also called Levi, was, was a tax collector. He's one of his disciples. Luke goes into that in detail. Jesus interacts with prostitutes. He interacts with Gentiles. He interacts with children. He interacts with, with women people that were marginalized, disenfranchised. This is a gospel of inclusion, the gospel of forgiveness. And Jesus is presented as a friend of outcasts. It's Luke that gives us the parable of the lost coin and the lost sheep and the lost son, what we call the prodigal son. It's Luke that gives us the parable of the good Samaritan, the man despised by Israel but really comes alongside and, and, and gives grace to the, to the man who is beaten by the side of the road. And it's Luke that, that embraces this concept. And Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus was one of these people. Disenfranchised, marginalized. He chose money over everything. And he was despised because of it. But as we look at this text, I want to I present you, Zacchaeus did three things. Three very, very important things that caused him to experience dramatic change and also, interestingly enough, immediate change. Change that, that happened right away. Change for the better. So the first one, the first one is found in, in these first four verses. First one, you know, we see a man there by the name of Zacchaeus. He wanted to see Jesus because he was short. He couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, Luke tells us. He ran ahead of the crowd. He finds this tree, a sycamore fig tree. We, we, we saw these, these fig trees when we were over there. They're beautiful trees, big leaves uh, on, on, the, on, on the branches. Uh, branches low to the ground, so they're trees that you could easily climb. And he finds this tree, and he climbs up in the tree because he's short. Zacchaeus has heard about Jesus. I don't know when he first heard about Jesus, but he obviously heard about Jesus before he was coming into town because he was anticipating it. Luke 18 says he's just on the outskirts of Jericho. There's a, a blind man. Jesus stops, asks if he wants to see. He says yes. Jesus heals him. The crowds are amazed. They're, they're, they're pressing in around him. It's not just Jesus and 12 disciples just going along in a group. There are hundreds of people, probably, maybe thousands of people, with Jesus walking through the, the, the streets of Jericho. He is causing a great stir. And Zacchaeus, this, this man of short stature, he can't see over the crowd. He he's kind of, can't even see the man. What am I going to do? 
So he runs and he climbs. Now, in this culture, a, a man, an adult man, it was very undignified if you did anything but walk when you were out in public. Running was frowned upon. It was considered something that, that just wasn't done. He, but he not only runs ahead, he climbs a tree. When's the last time you climbed a tree? Think back. Like, when's the last time you just hopped up in a tree and said, hey, I think I'm going to climb that tree? I'm happy to climb stairs right now. I, I'm not going to climb a tree, right? <laughs> but here's an adult man climbing up in a tree. I remember when I was young, I climbed trees. We had, we had a silver maple in our backyard. It grew quite tall. And I remember in the summer days, I would go up in this one spot, about 20 feet up, just a nice spot where branches would, would uh, extend from the trunk. And I, I would sit there, and I would just, I'd sit up there for sometimes a couple hours. It was a nice day. And, and uh, people would walk by down below, and, and I loved it not being seen. I love that I could say their name and they didn't know where the name, you know, who, who's calling, right? It, it's sort of, it's a, it's a place where you go and you, you get to observe. And here Zacchaeus is up in this tree. I don't know what his motivation was. Maybe it was just curiosity, right? Maybe he just wondered, oh, I wonder what this man looks like. I've heard a lot about him. Whatever his motivation He's up in this tree, and he is curious about who Jesus is. But whatever his motivation, the first thing that Zacchaeus did, and this is the first point that I see, is that he watched for Jesus. He watched. He paid attention. Zacchaeus watched for Jesus. Watching is, is an active verb. You don't watch by just being passive. You watch by being alert. You watch by, by paying attention. You're anticipating something. You're looking forward to something. You want something to happen. Zacchaeus was watching for Jesus. When's the last time you watched for something or someone intently? When's the last time you just, oh, I'm, really, I'm really focusing on, on this happening? remember a time when my son was in high school. He, he was playing uh, high school soccer. I went to one of his practices. And uh, at the end of the practice, he drove his car. I drove mine. I, I met him after my work. And, and uh, we just exchanged a, a few sentences and said, I'll see you at home. He said, yeah, and, and uh, left. And I went home, and I expected my son to come home and join us for dinner. Renee was there. Is Chris coming home? Yeah, I, yeah, he's coming home. And he just should be right behind me. It was 6.30 when I got home. 7 o'clock came. 7.30 came. Eight o'clock came, no sun, and I, I, I began to get really worried. And this is back mid-90s. This sounds so weird to say this. There weren't any mobile phones back in the mid-90s. I couldn't call them up. So we're calling friends' houses. Where could he be? Did, did, Renee said, did he say where he was going? He said, I thought, you know, I thought he said he was coming home. She said, you didn't listen to him closely enough. I said, maybe not. And, you know, we're concerned. I'm thinking, well, am I going to have to call police? Am I going to have to call hospital? I remember sitting, 8.30 comes around. I'm sitting at home. I'm just, I'm watching, man. I'm watching the driveway. I'm, I want him to come home. Finally, I couldn't sit there anymore. We lived in, a, in this, this sort of cul-de-sac dead end of this uh, housing place that we were in. And, and I knew the route he was going to have to come in. I just got up and I walked out to the place where he'd have to turn in to come into our, into our house, about a mile down the road, a little four-way stop. I'm just looking for this red Chevy Sprint. 
9.30, I finally saw it. I was watching. Last week, 11-year-old boy came up after I gave this example. He goes, did he get punished? He wanted to know that. That was really important to him. I said, you know, he didn't. I was just so glad to see the kid, I wouldn't have done anything but just hug him, and I did. He said he told me that he was at a friend's house. I didn't, I didn't hear it, or I wasn't listening, or he didn't say it clearly, whatever. He's home. Zacchaeus is watching. This is a man who's intentional. What are you doing to watch for Jesus, really? What are you doing to pay attention to where he's coming into your life and where he's showing up? Text goes on, verse 5. You imagine this, this man, this tax collector, this guy who's not well thought of. And, and I don't know if people are pointing at him. I don't know what they're saying. But here comes Jesus, all this crowd of people, and, he, and he's, he's coming right underneath this tree where Zacchaeus, he's, he's, he's up there, he's looking down. When Jesus reached the spot, verse 5, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Zacchaeus didn't just watch for Jesus. When Jesus stopped and addressed him, he welcomed Jesus. He welcomed him. Two ways he welcomed him. He welcomed, first of all, he came down immediately. The, the number one complaint, well, not number one, but one of the biggest complaints of parents when I talk to parents about their adolescent children or, or even their younger children is they don't obey me right away. I ask them to do something and they say, well, in a minute or not right now or can I, can I wait, right? There is no waiting here. Jesus didn't say come down and Zacchaeus didn't say, nah, I'd rather not. He came down immediately. He said, Okay, I'm here. And, and when he welcomes him, he welcomes him gladly. What does it mean to welcome Jesus gladly? I think Zacchaeus knew that he was incomplete. And most likely at this point in his life, he knew that his present direction in life would never end in fulfillment. He had all the money he needed. He was very wealthy, right? Of course, our culture says that's what you need to, to, to be happy, but it really doesn't work that way, does it? Zacchaeus knew that. But here was this man, Jesus, and somehow, for him, it all comes together. He didn't anticipate it, but it came all together, as if a lightning bolt had struck him. Here, he realizes, is someone who could take him out of his discontent. And the outcast went from being despised to being honored. Jesus, this man who who is revered by, by many, stops and says, hey, I'm not only going to address you by name, I'm not only, only going to spend time with you, I want to come to your house. I want to have a meal with you. And in this culture, when you have meals with people, that, that is a time of honor, that is a time of respect. And here Zacchaeus now is being respected by this man, Jesus, and he welcomes Jesus into his mess. He says, Absolutely. John, in his book of Revelation, as he's relating to the seven churches in the beginning of that book, what Jesus is saying to these churches, John 3, or Revelation 3.20, 
Jesus says, behold, or look, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens that door, I will come into him or her and have fellowship with him or her. Welcoming in, and he welcomes him gladly. Have you ever welcomed someone into your home not gladly? Maybe you've got that relative at, at holiday time that, that's, you know, that uncle. You know that uncle, right? That, yeah, the uncle. He's just not all that much fun to have. Or you, what's he going to say this time? Or you're sort of worried about the conversation. We welcome, we welcome, but not gladly, right? It's not going to be a fun time. Ah, Zacchaeus, it's gladly. This man's overjoyed. So he watches and he welcomes and he does the last thing I see in this text. Starting with verse 7. Of course, all the people around, they see this. They know who this man is. And they rejoice, right? That Zacchaeus has this relationship with Jesus? No, no, not at all. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. How could they judge him like that, right? Are you kidding me? We judge people. I judge people like that all the time. Here, here Zacchaeus is being honored. He, under, he knows the response of the crowd. He hears them. And here's his response. But Zacchaeus stood up, not very tall, by the way, but he stood up, right? And said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. So Zacchaeus watches, he welcomes, and now he worships. He worships in two ways. I mean, we just spent time worshiping. It was wonderful. We, we sing songs. We, we, we praise God. And we use this word, Lord. And Zacchaeus uses that word, Lord. He calls him Lord. And he gives him that respect and honor that Jesus is, is obviously due by his words. But he doesn't stop at his words. He goes beyond that, and he backs that up. He worships with what he does. It's not just words, it's actions. So an essential element of true worship, if we're going to worship the way God wants us to worship, it's the act of relinquishing what our idols are, our false gods, the thing that oh, we wouldn't really call it that, like we're worshiping that, but we really do, don't we? We, we, we worship our, our toys, our possessions. Sometimes we worship our addictions, the things that we've We've put into our life that, that, that give us that temporary joy and euphoria that always fades, and we have to keep going back to it with less and less in terms of a result. But we, sometimes we worship that. Sometimes we worship our, our self-centered relationships. We'll elevate people like they, they're, they're, they're more important than they are. Or, or it's our wealth like, like Zacchaeus did. Some people worship sports teams. Do you know that? It's sort of like this... You know, you, you watch a soccer match. I love soccer, by the way. Don't, don't get me wrong. But just like, you know, we hold up, you know, our scarves. And, you know, there's this, like, liturgy you go through almost as you, as you go through, through all this. And it's, it's wonderful when they win. It's devastating when they lose. What are you worshiping anyway? Really, think about it. I have adults who worship. They would never say this. They worship their video games. So they're just caught up in this thing and they can't let it go. Where, do you, where, where is your heart? What is it that you really love? 
What is it that you really worship? The act of worship, Zacchaeus didn't just call Jesus Lord. And he knew that he couldn't be fulfilled with what he already had. He makes this statement. Dramatic, yes. He's got more money than he knows what to do with. Half of it, gone to the poor. Doing it right now. Jesus didn't ask him to do this. He just makes the statement. If I've defrauded anyone four times what I defrauded them, I'm giving it back. Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house. And then he turns to the crowd because this man, too, is what? It's a son of Abraham. This man, too, is a son of Abraham. Years ago, I met with a man, good man, a family man. Kids were uh, pretty much grown and, and off to college or, or in their young, early adult years. And uh, he came in because he, was, he was, had some things he was struggling with. One of them was, was uh, alcohol. He was really dealing with, with um, this whole idea of, you know, what do I do with the alcohol in my life? He knew he drank too much. He was very clear about that. We talked about it. We said, okay, let's, let's deal with it. Let's figure it out. Very sincere. And um, I said, okay, I'd be glad to work with you. We, we had this little plan that we, we made that first time together. Uh, made another appointment. He never came back. Just never came back. Until three years later. Didn't see that man for three years. And um, came in with his wife. He was talking to me about a situation he had with one of his children. Wanted to, to talk through that. But this man looked different. This man was acting different. There was a, there, there was a countenance change. There was a peace about him that, that I, you just never saw before. And five minutes into the conversation, I said, Hey, what is going on with you? You... you you look happy. He goes, I am. He said, and he began to share. He, he began his spiritual, his, his spiritual journey. He always believed in God. He sort of had this sort of a relationship with Jesus. He said, Jesus, I met Jesus, he said, and it changed my life. Not the same man. Zacchaeus meets Jesus. He's not the same man. And Jesus looks at this crowd and says, this too is a son of Abraham. So you guys want to play your, your pigeonhole games? You want to judge him? You want to put him in your category? Let me tell you something. He's a Hebrew like you are. Let me tell you what a true son of Abraham is. I can, you can just see the wheels turning these, these, these people's minds. Abraham. Believe God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And what Jesus was saying is this man has now put his faith and commitment in God. It's changed his life. I think another thing Jesus was saying by this, he's saying, look, you have judged on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. This is a son of Abraham too. Quit your judging people and categorizing people. Quit being divided. Going through this tour, and I got to know these people. These people in canes and wheelchairs, and people that are older than I am, 
so dear man DL was his was his, he went that was his moniker he went by that and and 87 years old man 19 years older than me just I sat next to him on a bench uh, the Jordan River where where they do baptisms of the Jordan River and I had the most delightful conversation with him heard his story lost his wife four years earlier how he loved her and how he loved the Lord and 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 how God had blessed his life and I realized I go you know what. I didn't see his heart. Got to know every one of those people. And I, I, I felt like C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis, he was doing an interview and he was talking about his relationship with going to church and he, he, parts he didn't like. He said, I don't like singing hymns. They're fourth-rate poetry set to fifth-rate music, which is an awful thing to say, I know, but... He, <laughs> That's, that, that's just the way, you know. And he said, you know, I'm just sort of going through the motions one Sunday. He says, then I look over the, down the pew from me, and there's this older gentleman singing at the top of his lungs from the bottom of his heart, not in a very high economic situation. You can tell by his clothing. And he says, then I realize I'm not worthy to wipe his boots off. Watching, welcoming, worshiping. So you want a dramatic change? Honestly, do you want it right away? I'm telling you, I got the secret. You'll be glad you came. You want dramatic change? Spend it with Jesus. You want change right away? Worship Jesus. Bring him him into every area of your life. You'll see change right away. Why? Because he changes people's lives. Salvation is the necessary first step in spiritual self-improvement. Salvation came to Zacchaeus' house that day. It can come to yours today. If you haven't experienced already, you're one decision away from it. And spiritual renewal and revitalization can come to your house today too. You just refigure those priorities. What are you worshiping? What am I worshiping? Watch for the one who brings salvation. Welcome him. Worship him with all your heart. Watch, welcome, worship. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for each man and woman here. Thank you for their hearts. I thank you for the opportunity we have to hear from you. I pray for all of us, Lord. You know the struggles that we're in. You know the challenges that we have. I pray for myself first. I pray that uh, you would allow me to set aside those false gods that I worship with my attention and and my longing and, 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 and my desires. And I pray that I would put that in the proper perspective and I would always be reminded that you're the one whom I must worship. And I pray as we conclude this time that you would cement in our hearts, lock it in, the fact that you are the one who brings change. You're the one who brings joy. And you're the one who brings salvation. It's in your son's holy and righteous and powerful name, I pray. Amen.